Ladies and gentlemen, now It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in Late Night. It's Sherry Voluntary. Sherry, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. You know, right as we were getting ready to get started, uh, the official fiance of It's Too Late texted me and said, hey, we, we got to watch the next season of this. And it was a trailer to that show You on Netflix. The one about the uh, serial killer guy and his like foibles trying to keep his secret life together and all that. Oh, you, I heard. I, you feel like Anna Kay's trying to tell me something with that? <laughs> she thinks you're a silly serial killer. <laughs> I mean, either she thinks I am or she's just kind of, you know, letting me know. Mm. Uh, the Primetime Emmy Awards were on the other night, Sherry. And the award mm. for best late night show went to someone else. <gasps> I know. Good I thought this down. was our year. Um, some British bundle of sticks won it. <laughs> um, let me tell you something about John Oliver, though. John Oliver is not only a really crappy late night talk show host, he's not even the best British late night talk show host. Like, Craig mm-hmm. Ferguson was a better British late night host than him, and he's not even British. He's Scottish. Right. Yeah. Uh That's- Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in the news. Do we have a picture of Trudeau? Yeah. There he, he looks He looks so excited. Um, I tell you what, if you're going to do it, you should love what you do, right? Um, he was sharing details about the upcoming vaccine passport rolling out in Canada. He was saying that those who have, quote, done the right thing are going to be rewarded with some of their freedoms, while those that continue to resist are not going to get to enjoy the same freedoms. Uh, when asked why such a harsh stance, he said, I was inspired by my father. <laughs> I mean. You don't even need Mari Povich for that one. Come the, on. The people who are listening to the podcast and are not watching, they still know what we showed, though, right? Right. Because <laughs> that's his dad. That's his, that's his dad. Um, speaking of Trudeau, he managed to retain his seat as prime minister in this past week's Canadian elections, but the electorate remains as split as ever, which means he'll have to form a minority government. But Trudeau was unfazed. He said, guys, I have plenty of experience forming a minority government. (laughs) It's like, we're not making the jokes. He did that. He is a joke. Like if you said to me, Alan, we gotta we gotta Photoshop some pictures of Trudeau in blackface. My answer to you would be, there's like a hundred of them. On the <laughs> but why though? <laughs> you just it, do what you love, yeah. and you'll never work a day in your life. Um, in COVID news, a recent study from Franklin Templeton gauged how dangerous respondents believed the virus to be as compared to reality. And they were doing this in regards to the chance of a COVID patient needing to be hospitalized. Why don't you take a look at this chart right here? Um, So while it might be true, so I tell you, a lot of right-wingers were sharing this as like some kind of victory lap, right? Like, look look at these dumb liberals who all think that they're going to go to the hospital if they get the Rona. And while it might be true that a majority of conservatives said, no, 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 It's a lower percentile. And while it might be true that Democrats were the most likely to say 51% said half and more of all COVID patients have to go Mm. to the hospital. It might be true, but I want you to take a closer look at those numbers, ladies and gentlemen. 
when you realize that the correct number is actually only about 2%, it's only about 2% of patients have to be hospitalized. And when you see how many people across ideological aisles voted for some other number, it, you realize that Democrats, Republicans, and Independents really have one thing in common, don't they? They're oh, yeah. all retarded. <laughs> correct. Just... Like I share, I share that to be funny, but then when you look at that, like, of course the hysteria is wrong, and of course people are misinformed, but now you realize why people act with such hysterics when you see how many people are so uninformed yes. about what's going yes. on in the world around them. Yeah. Um, speaking on of what's going on in the world around them, I actually saw the news right before we got started that uh, the coroner's report came back and it turned out that body was the body of Gabby Petito. So uh, so that is sad, but uh, it only took a week or two. But guys, Joy Reid and Don Lemon have finally decided that the real story involving Gabby Petito is race. Mm. Reed said that the press coverage of Petito, while so many women of color have their stories unheard, demonstrates, quote, missing white woman syndrome. I tell you what, I'm here tonight to tell you uh, Reed and Lemon have a point. The corporate press <laughs> really? certainly does have a history of concentrating its focus on one race and angle while members of other races face the same issues. Hmm. <laughs> Bring that back up here. I just I, I I just want to say it's just a really quick aside. Yeah. I was putting that together and I was having to get pictures of everybody I wanted to showcase. And I wanted to kind of mm -hmm. have like an even number of people around uh St. Floyd there in the middle. Right. And and you might be shocked to find out this is this is how this is how gay Google is, all right. So I was mm. needing more pictures, and for for I couldn't remember uh, Kelly Thomas's name, the guy in the top uh -huh. left. He was the guy who was a homeless man who got beat to death by police. Beat to death. Yeah, yeah. I uh. couldn't remember his name. Right. Right. So I'm like, Google won't let me down. I googled. Right. I googled the phrase "white man murdered by the police." The in all <laughs> of the top hits were either black people murdered by police or statistics right. on how more black people are attacked by police than white people or how while there might be police brutality it's really systemic racism that is the key concern i had to go over to duck duck go and the very top hit mm -hmm. was kelly thomas yeah it, it's that's your it's your white privilege your well, white male privilege i i shared this with our friend mike <laughs> of mike and friends and i i was telling them that i like i get it like there's lots of victims of police brutality. And I think the police do target African-Americans at a ridiculous clip. And, and that's shameful and disgusting, but yes. that's not what I searched. Mm -hmm. So the point being is, is that if I were a more impressionable person, I could, I could tell that Google was trying to paint my perspective with the search results right. instead of just giving me what I searched for. Right. And, and the fact that they just, you know, totally ignore all of the other people who like, that's another slap in the face to the victims, right? That they just get ignored because of their, their race. Yeah. So finally, finally for this evening, the big J six rally took place this pack week weekend in Washington, DC. There was a number of stirring speeches delivered by speakers that were concerned about those arrested in connection to the January six protests, getting fair treatment. 
Kind of hard to say what effect that these will have, however, since every single person who attended the rally was an FBI agent. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, the, man. The black socks, man. <laughs> the black socks, the watches all on the same arm, water bottles. The same kind of watch. The shades. Yeah. What's, what's, what do they call it? Like the fades where the sides of your yeah, head yeah. are shaved or whatever. It's like high and tight, I think. The, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Just like. Yeah, it's the fed cut. <laughs> like. I don't know how many men in that picture are married, but that's how many women are getting beaten. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's what it is. Correct. That's, yeah. Um, boy, this this monologue really had a lot of twists and turns, didn't it? <laughs> oh, oh man, that picture. Guys, we're going to be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Guys, welcome back to the show. So, see, here's the thing. Like, you you see all the people that are on these waiting lists for, like, kidneys and stuff, right? And and most mm-hmm. people, like, don't get their name called because there's so many people on the list. If But if you, like, if, if I said to you, I need a kidney or I'm going to die. And if mm-hmm. you said, how about I sell you a kidney for $20,000? If I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea because $20,000 is worth it to live. They would put jail. you in jail. Yeah, you have to go to prison, Sherry. <laughs> that's yep. that's the and I I Where have I to die. I need to die, and you need to go to prison. <laughs> that's right. that's what yeah. that's what needs the only to solution. It's it's the final solution, really. The final solution. So so take that same logic of just just free people outside of the <laughs> system saying, look, I benefit by the twenty thousand dollars. You benefit by getting the kidney or whatever. And, and I mean, obviously you benefit, right? Because your life is a wreck or you're going to die or whatever. Right. Now take that same logic and apply it to babies. Wow. Like, like <laughs> if you just, yeah, what's so hard to understand? like, like Sherry, you're a mother. So, you know, if you just, if you just happened upon a right. one baby too many for, for, uh-huh. for your household, Right. And and you were and you were thinking to yourself, gosh, if I just didn't have this baby and instead had fifty thousand dollars, and and I didn't want to murder the baby. I mean, I can tell you there have been times where I have thought of selling one of my children. <laughs> yeah, well, there's been times you've thought about murdering one of your children. So there, I, so there I you never, go. I'll, I'll never. Shit. <laughs> and and so if if uh, if an uh, enterprising young couple came along and said, well. Well, you know, my my wife's ovaries are like scorched earth. So, 
so because that's what they say that's the clinical definition right so they're like i'm a doctor like i don't know if you guys knew this so (laughs) so they come to you and they say you know my 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 wife's undercarriage is very much that of dale earnhardt's if you remember what happened to him then then you could say well i happen to have a baby on the way but i could use you know a lambo and they could trade yeah. their Lambo for your baby. And and the point being is, is that it's really twofold. So not only does the baby get to not be dissected, but then you get a Lambo and the baby gets to like live a life with parents who value it more than a Lambo. <laughs> I guess that's what right. I'm getting. Like they value the baby more than a nurse's job at the clinic and you value the lambo more than get pregnant again in that lambo yeah (laughs) see that's the thing is that some people will say well this is this is going to negatively incentivize more births because people are going to start popping The, the what i say to that is is that have you taken a look around we really don't have a problem with that like right like the fact that we have too few unwanted births really isn't the issue Right. The issue exactly. is, is that we have a mountain of dead babies. Mm-hmm. But how are the politicians going to stand on it and tell us how bad we are for A or B? <laughs> that's that's the real thing. That is that is no. the real story right there. Is that every single person who is not willing to entertain Alan's baby flea market is <laughs> they would they would rather be mad about dead babies than to just not have dead babies. Right. It's it's the meme of the guy burning the fossils. I don't want an answer. I want to be mad. Yeah. Well, there you go. Alan's you free market for dead babies. Anybody out there <laughs> that is like, you know, a Photoshop <laughs> wizard, hook us up with that. Uh, hey, go. Sherry. Yes? What time is it? Meme of the week! Which one of our viewers did this? This is what I want to know. Like, this has to be somebody that we know. Who did this? What I want to know is, <laughs> is I wonder how many people who, like, are, are actual, like, actual liberty-loving activists in our community who are thinking, I better not dress like that next time. Right. <laughs> no more black socks for me. I, oh. I do genuinely feel bad if, like, Billy Joe on the far left of that picture from earlier actually is one of us. And he's like, damn it, this is it for me. My life is over. <laughs> ruined damn that alan mosley uh but we do have a bonus meme check out the bonus meme oh remember remember that time you called putin a killer (laughs) and then he said it takes one to know one (laughs) that then then you went out and killed 10 innocent people (laughs) oh that was awesome why is it all wow. of our shows feature dead SNL cast? I, I know they have lately. I was that, thinking that same thing. Yeah, that's becoming a, a thing. Um, yeah. Let's answer some viewer mail. Yeah. All right, we're going to lead off this week with Clay Davis, who writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, are people born with photographic memories or does it take time to develop? 
So, <laughs> so unfortunately, Ooh. Clay, that was a pun, and you're not the official pun master. Yeah. It's too late, Andrew Avery. So, Clay, you are banned for two weeks. I want to see them knife fi- knife fight over this, like yeah, encroaching on his territory. Yeah. Uh, dear Celeste Annis, dear Celeste Annis, what well, is dear Celeste Annis? Because she's like the only, her and Lyle are the only people watching literally right. as we speak. Uh, Celeste Annis writes, dear Alan and Sherry, I w- I'm going to tell a story really quick about Celeste. I messaged her and said, the only time, the only, because you know how Facebook is, God knows we don't have any reach. Like, right. I, I posted an article I wrote recently that was published by a legend in the game, by the way, Lou Rockwell. Yeah. And it, it had like, six reach wow you're you're moving up yeah that's right and so the only people's posts that i ever see on my timeline are celeste when she has pictures of her cats and pie but no just her cats but then but then i saw a picture of her cooking some steaks at a barbecue and i thought oh god it's the cats oh no so I actually, I actually said this isn't the cats, is it? So anyway, <laughs> dear Alan and Sherry, are you carving pumpkins this year? If so, what is your design idea? Sherry, you, do you carve pumpkins? Oh, I, I usually do with my kids. Uh, well, with one kid anyways, um, now that the other one's grown. Uh, yeah, I, we kind of sometimes will do like Mario. Sometimes I like to do like things that are just gross, like no nothing in the front. You just cut a big hole, something. I don't know. I don't have any, I, I, it takes, I don't have any ideas at the moment. I'm sure my daughter will want to do some crazy anime thing. I feel like just cutting a big hole in one will get your son back in on the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> Eric Eli writes, dear Alan and Sherry, Ronan's not my friend anymore, is he? Um, <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't watch. <laughs> what was the best thing you ever got from the school cafeteria? Sherry, what was the best thing you ever got from the school cafeteria? Oh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I think I used to love their pizza, that terrible pizza that they serve. I thought that was pretty great. The, the terrible pizza that you thought was pretty great. Yeah, it's like cardboard with cheese on top. Uh, what was the best thing you ever got from the school cafeteria? Pills, probably. <laughs> I mean, so. That was me, not you. Um, <laughs> Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, if a home invader stole all your lamps, would you be delighted? Now that's a pun right there. <laughs> actually, you know what? Here I was protecting Andrew's honor, and I actually kind of think right? plays was better. I think it was. Actually. You guys you guys work that oh, out yeah. between yourselves and, and come back next week. Take off your shirts and fight. I don't I don't think anybody wants that. <laughs> I do. No, you do. No, uh, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, can I borrow $20 until I get some orders for my lobster, lobster-flavored vodka? I, I, I feel like an inordinate amount of our audience are alcoholics. Right. Well, correct. Yeah. yeah speaking, speaking of that, uh, next question, Marilyn Willimowski writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, are you fans of pumpkin spice anything? Do, do, you, do you do a bunch of pumpkin spice stuff this time of year, Sherry? I'm a white girl. Hello. Right. Yeah. I- so 
Um, I I honestly can't think that I've had anything pumpkin spice because I don't mm. I don't like pumpkin spice. So, well, there no. you have it. But no I don't spice for you. So so no pumpkin spice lattes and no lobster flavored vodka. Mm. And and oh, really, what, what kind of person writes the show asking to borrow twenty dollars when on our <laughs> show, like half of our commercials are us <laughs> asking for money? Right, <laughs> twenty dollars is what we've made, probably. Yeah, he wants to borrow everything we make. Everything we have. <laughs> well, yeah, he sounds like the government. Yeah, Ryan's yeah. the government. Ryan, you're the government. Half of our audience are feds. And the other yeah, half of black socks right now are alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> um, Addison Sakosin uh, writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, do you have any time management tips? Sherry, do you have any tips for time management? Um, keep your momentum going. That's an honest tip. Do it right now and keep going. <laughs> I, I don't manage my time well. What can I say? Um... Do not do a libertarian podcast. <laughs> That's pretty much the end of your time. Yeah. Actually, yeah, don't yeah. write either. Jesus. Yeah. I've Just I've already been do. reminded why I quit writing. Right. I already have. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten any hate mail for this one yet, though. Well, well that's good. Yeah. See, it's because you were talking good about the veterans. Well, I, I'm talking bad about good, I'm but... talking bad about my war yeah. effort, though. So exactly, you don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan Seifert writes. Ryan Seifert already had it. You had one. We'll we'll do it just because he's he's hard up on his luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he he meant to write dear Alan and Sherry. He he wrote a D instead of an R, so it says dead Alan and Sherry. <laughs> Ryan and Anna Kay both are trying to send me a message this week. Wow. Uh, Dead Alan and Sherry, if you could master one skill, what would it be? Sherry, if you could master one skill, what would it be? Time management? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's sad. Uh, I, tell you, I wish that, like, if I could just snap my, like, if I could do the Matrix and just, you know, uh, upload a skill. I wish oh, I could yeah. be like a world-class jazz pianist, like Ooh. just with the snap of the fingers. Because then that's y'all wouldn't see me on this shit no more. That's, right. <laughs> that's for sure. I would. I would maybe do one more show where I just sat here with a keyboard and we just, you know, you and I chit chatted while I just, you know, right. played some background music, and then that would be it for me. I'd be on the road after that. GB for E. Uh, and finally, Eric Eli writes, my dad wants to know, who is your favorite country music artist? Ooh. Sherry, who's your favorite country music artist? I, I think that'd have to be uh, Dolly. Hello. Dolly? Okay. Love Dolly. Uh, I'm going to hit you with one. Uh, Ronnie Millsap. You like Ronnie Millsap, huh? Yeah. 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 Because he, he has the skill that I wish I had. Right. But I get to see. Right. Yeah. He is yeah. blind. Oh, there Would you, go. you trade your eyesight to be a world-class pianist? No. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm asking Eric's dad. Like, he asked us a right. question, so I'm answering his question with a question. Well, hot shot, would you just go blind to play music? 
I, I, yeah. I don't know. It's because you're like Jesus. You answer a question with a question. Boy, I really hope you guys have enjoyed the upbeat part of the show. Because it's <laughs> yeah, all downhill from here. We're going to be back with Kyle Anzalone, host of Conflicts of Interest, right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Guys, welcome back to the show. Our guest this evening is the news editor of the Libertarian Institute, as well as an assistant editor for Antiwar.com, as well as co-host of Conflicts of Interest, alongside his co-host, Will Porter. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Anzalone. Kyle, welcome to the show. Alan, Sherry, great to be back on. Thanks for having me again. Well, we're going to try to do our best to soldier on because our good friend Will couldn't be with us this evening. He's he's too busy uh, at Putin's beck and call. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. Um, Kyle departed. Kyle, I'm gonna set the stage for you, buddy. I don't know if you're a big football fan. I'm a I'm a big football fan. So this is this is my favorite time of the year. And uh, I was watching football this weekend, and I was watching Tennessee play Tennessee Tech. Which, if anybody knows anything about that, that just means Tennessee was looking for a team it could beat. Um, and I would say probably a dozen times there was the same commercial that played over and over again through the first and second half. And let me, let me say, set the stage for you here a little bit. There's, there's this lone pickup truck underneath an oak tree out in the middle of a field in this beautiful orange and purple sunset. And there's this one shadowy figure there by the truck. All of a sudden you see the screen switch and you see the hands of the shadowy figure grabbing the silver case and what it is it's a gun case and inside it he's got his little glock in there and he affixes his gun lock because god knows that thing needs to be stored securely and then the voiceover comes over and it says something along the lines of actually you know i i won't even i won't even ad lib it i'll tell you exactly what it said a simple lock puts space between the thought and the trigger learn how securing your firearms can prevent suicide Turns out that was a commercial by the Department of Veteran Affairs trying to address the veteran suicide epidemic. So I'm, I'm going to turn it over just, just there for your initial thoughts. How absolutely shallow and vapid of a commercial is that? I mean, it, it seems absolutely unbelievable that they would run that, especially during a football game where, I, I mean, far more than the gun, I guess alcohol is a huge factor in suicides and, and things and, you know, uh, ways veterans deal with the problems, alcohol, and then exacerbates the problems, of course. And so it, it's kind of ironic that, you know, during this, uh, you know, big football event, which, of course, there's like a glorification of alcohol along with the military at, at those kind of events and it really ties those two together that you have them, you know, picking on guns as being the cause for all of this when, uh, you know, of course it's the wars. I guess, I don't know, maybe there's like some data to suggest that there there is some effectiveness to this, but uh, I, I mean, I don't know what it would be. I'm sure like, you know, if somebody's going to kill themselves, they'll take, you know, two or you know three tries to really build up the momentum. So even if they take off the lot the first time, it's not like they're going to put it right back on or something like that. And so, 
I, I don't know. I guess maybe, you know, if it saves a couple of those guys' lives, what you know, whatever, that's not a bad thing. But, you know, at, at the same time, it, it's not addressing any of the, the core problems here. Well, speaking of that, I want I want the audience to take a look at this. So I, I came out of uh, writing retirement to write this. Uh, our good friend Lou Rockwell published it for me. Uh, the answer to veteran suicides isn't a gun lock. And so I talked a little bit about that commercial, but but specifically, you know, I said, look, you know, I get I'm not a pedant or autistic like most of the Lawberts are. I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say that suicides are often an act of impulse. You know, right? Like we always hear that phrase that it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, all that kind of propaganda. Um, and so it's not that I don't get what they're what they're what they're driving at. My problem is is that there is absolutely no self reflection on, as you put it, what what is causing this surge in suicides. Um, so I I do want to get into the uh, specific data point before we we move on. Um, talking about the number of suicides of veterans somewhere now now I, I know the figures can can be a little bit shady depending on where you're getting your data but just just going by this one article from from HuffPo they're saying that just a hair over 7,000 people died in combat operations ever since 9/11 basically in the war on terror 7,000 7,000 US servicemen and women but over 30,000 30,000 so over four times as many, have committed suicide during that same period of time. Now, I, I wanted to kind of move on from that a little bit and talk a little bit about the excuses. Some of the excuses that you hear from regime types, from apologist types that say, well, why is that? And the first excuse you hear is, is that, well, people just aren't supportive enough of the troops. You know, popular support for the wars are at an all-time low, and that's causing troops to commit suicide. What say you to that? Well, obviously, it's the people who won't clap enough at the airport that, you know, that the reason that these men are killing themselves and not because they're putting situation overseas where, um, you, you know, where it, it, like Afghanistan is a great example where the U.S. was backing warlords that were raping young boys. It's like had little boy set slaves, right? Like, it, and this is this is known. And the U.S. instructed our soldiers not to do anything about that. And, and you know, so what do you really think a soldier is so shallow that what they care about is they weren't clapped or thanked enough, uh, you know, for for what they did or do you really think what eats at them at night is oh man if i would walked in there and shot that commander in the face he wouldn't have raped those 10 little boys well so so that's another thing too is uh some people say that uh the 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 pr problem here that's driving troops to suicide is related to the the rash of sexual assault allegations amongst military personnel and uh this 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 culture of toxic masculinity if you will uh that's prevalent in military culture where it's 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 a two for one so so the young ladies are being driven to depression and suicide because of having to constantly fend for themselves against sexual assault and the young men who perhaps are feeling some type of side effects of depression or anxiety they're afraid to come forward and deal with those problems because of the masculinity issue so so that's it then isn't it right kyle we, we can chalk all those thirty thousand suicides up to sexual assault and uh toxic masculinity right 
Hey, man, it, it's so unbelievable that they try to deflect to the, especially the sexual assault thing, because the military just doesn't even bother addressing it anyways. And so if that really was the case and they really did believe that it would be just as big of an indictment of the military for not doing a damn thing about the sexual assaults. All the all the reforms they have are just, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, we're moving this around. And that's because there's tons of high ranking military officials that I'm sure would have to go to jail if they were serious about that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's just another, you know, to deflect from the actual cruelty of war. And uh, although I, you know, one thing I think that's worth considering is that maybe both of these things do have some similar uh, basis where, you know, if you do, you know, just looking at aggregate data, like, you know that if people have PTSD, they're you know more likely to engage in violent crimes and some of those crimes are sexual. And so, you know, there may be, you know, some... Uh, you know, direct as, you know, it's the PTSD that's, you know, causing, uh, you know, people's brains, you know, to allow them, you know, to short wire essentially and act so impulsively that, you know, they'll grope, you know, their, their female counterparts. And I'm not trying to make excuses for sexual assault here, but like, you know, we know that CTE is a thing that makes people more violent, right? Like, it's not like I'm not trying just to excuse sexual assault or anything like that. But, uh, you know, the, this is a real thing that, you know, uh, Matt Ho, uh, who's recently on my show, talks about how uh, much traumatic brain injury all these soldiers had from uh, all these ordinances and uh, all the, you know, kind of different weaponry that they fire exploding so close to them. Like, these things, you know, can make people more violent. And it can also make people more likely to kill themselves. And so there may be some correlation from that part, but you know both of these are a result of the warfare in the first place. Well, then let's let's dive into the last one then, and this is kind of the one that was sort of uh, the crux of the commercial that we that we started off the show with, and that is, you know, a lot of people who commit suicide use a gun to do it. I mean, it's 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 a quick and hopefully painless thing for you if you do it right. So people use guns to kill themselves. So what that means is, is that the reason why all these veterans are offing themselves is because of the easy access to firearms. That must be it, right, Kyle? There's just too many guns on American streets. I mean, this is, I would say, the most ridiculous one just because, uh, you know, people will find ways to kill themselves if they want to. And, you know, there's things like jumping off a building that are, you know, pretty similar and the irreversibility of it, like, as soon as you go. And so, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of a ridiculous, uh, you know, way to portray it. I'm sure um, that, you know, maybe they could find, like, more people attempt suicide and fail, but, you know, a lot of people who do that will attempt it again. And so maybe, you know, you just drag out somebody's depression even longer and their suicide even longer before they actually uh, are able to go through with killing themselves. But it doesn't seem to me like, you know, they have anything to really prove that this is the, the driver of the suicides at all. Well, you know, that one really was the one that kind of was the last straw for me that made me want to bring it up because I feel like that when you're saying Look, a lot of veterans are committing suicide. So our, you know, our, when I say our, I mean the VA. Our answer to that problem is let's let's make firearms more secure. Let's let's ease back on on uh, guns. I that's particularly offensive to me for two reasons. The first one being is is I feel like there's there's an implication there that well, you know, veterans coming home from the war, these are these are perhaps the the least qualified people to have personal firearms, right? As opposed to the most qualified. Like, 
they're instead of saying, well, these are people that that trained for years on on the you know safe and efficient use of firearms. No, but when they come home, they they don't need to have access to those those same firearms. You know, you can you can run multi million dollar pieces of equipment that can cause all manner of death and destruction abroad, but you can't have a Glock or an AR-15 at home because you you might you might go off and accidentally blow your head off. That that is unbelievably offensive to me, and in particularly coming from an organization that theoretically is supposed to be representing veterans. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy, and but this has been something that. Uh, we've seen from the government for a long time that they've talked about veterans being too dangerous to have weapons and this being an issue. Um, and, and, you know, I've always thought that was relatively absurd. I mean, some of these states, you know, say you can't carry some, you know, different weapons until you're 21 or whatever. And yet, you know, at 19, they'll send them to Iraq, put them in charge of, you know, 10 Iraqi soldiers and, and you know, train them and also be able to use the, those weapons on the streets of Iraq. It's, it's just, a, you know, absurd how people make these uh, conclusions and logical jumps that, you know, that veterans are just unsafe with weapons or something like that. One thing that veterans are, though, is uh, probably skeptical of the government. So maybe that's why the government is so concerned with getting weapons out of their hands. Well, I, I mean, that exactly. I, that, that's that's the thing for me is that, you know, I hear what the commercial is trying to say. But I feel like it's really just it's really just a tool. It's really just a propaganda piece that's touching on on, you know, gun culture and Second Amendment rights in America, which is which is totally divorced from from the real issue at hand. I mean, we've we've done plenty of episodes on that. I'm sure we'll do more episodes on that in the future. But 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 the topic of tonight is is talking about veteran suicides Um, and. You know, we're we're going to talk a little bit more after the break about what we might feel are some more legitimate reasons for why we have this pandemic, but I'm or epidemic for veteran suicides. But I want you want to hit you with more one more thing for the article uh, before we get going. Um, you know, I had written down that it's it's a welcome change that they at least acknowledge, right? That they at least seem to recognize that yeah, we have a lot of. A lot of troops coming home and killing themselves. So, so in a in a really really shallow sense, it's good that they at least acknowledge that there is a problem. But this is the state we're talking about, right? You know, this they 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 have at best a token invested interest in people not killing themselves. They're absolutely in no way interested in not creating more psychologically damaged veterans to begin with. Would you say that that's fair? Yeah, and, uh, and this is something that I've talked about on the show recently with a uh, Iraq and Afghan war vet, Matthew Ho, uh, was just, you know, the politicians don't care about the troops. That That's why, you know, they, they continue to talk about how, oh, we need to improve the VA and all of this, and yet they, they make very minor improvements. Now, Matt Ho has said that uh, it, it has gotten a little bit better, so, like, if you are a vet and you do need help, like, if you do go to the VA... Uh, you, you'll probably be able to get that. And so, you know, it, I, I want to be careful not to, like, discourage anybody from doing that. If, you know, you feel like you, you do need help, like the, the VA might be a resource. Uh, but the elected 
leaders who are the ones in charge of the VA certainly don't give a damn about the troops at all. Uh, that's why they're willing to spend you know millions of dollars training them and giving them uh, billion dollar weapon systems to kill people with, uh, but it completely uninterested in being able to provide these people with any basic level of uh, you know care once they get back to the United States and they're scarred from the wars that the politicians sent them to. Another thing that Hope pointed out to me just real quick, but this is so telling, is that uh, he worked for like a prominent enough thing to have access to Washington, D.C., and uh, they went and tried to get uh, the senators to participate in a survey asking them if they had ever attended a funeral of a veteran who died in a war, and only two were able to respond yes. Yeah, and 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 what's more, it's probably that those were just the only couple that had some cameras on standby. Because if they were ever going to attend a funeral, they need to be seen attending the funeral. It really has nothing to do with the people in the casket. Um, well, I will say one was Mike Lee, who yeah, is sure. not you know anti-war or anything like that, but is one of the better members of Congress on the war issue. And so you do have to wonder that, like, hey, if other senators attended these things and saw the consequences of uh, their wars that they might be a little bit less interventionist, I guess. Sure. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to be back with another segment with Kyle Anselm from Conflicts of Interest right after this break. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Guys, we're back here tonight with Kyle Anzalone of Conflicts of Interest, uh, Antiwar.com, and uh, Libertarian Institute. Uh, Kyle, I want to draw your attention to this right here. Here is an article uh, that was in the HuffPo, and they're actually uh, talking about a recent study that was done that concluded that nearly 90% of people killed in recent drone strikes were not the target. And that's, that's talking about uh, civilians in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, and Somalia. And uh, also, piggybacking off of that, I know that you guys did as well. We talked really briefly on the show about uh, Biden's send-off in Afghanistan. You know, the last one out the door uh, was a drone strike that was allegedly targeting an ISIS-K member. Uh, and, of course, it turned out to be uh, Zamari Ahmadi and his children. You know, he was driving, the one driving a white sedan that just had jugs of water in it. Um, so, so going off of just that right there, that figure, nearly nine out of 10 people killed by drone strikes, not being the target of the drone strikes. Uh, that's, but that's not really news though, is it Kyle? Oh, never. And uh, I mean, this has been known for a long time. I'm not sure uh, exactly what study that was, but I know that when Daniel Hale, who's now serving 45 months in jail for releasing the information, uh, gave the information, I would say around 2017 to Jeremy Scahill, or maybe before, but I think it came out around that time. It was like 90 to 95 percent of people were uh uh, you know, what they call not intended targets, which basically means civilians, especially because they if you're if you're a male and uh, you are near puberty, you are essentially a fair game target. And so if they, they kill you, they'll just call you an insurgent. Uh, 
And so unless you're a woman and then you had the other issue, too, where, you know, if they blow up five people and you really can't tell, you know, what you see corpses or where they'll just chalk them all up as men. And, you know, nobody from rural Yemen or Afghanistan, where are they going to go if they approach a U.S. base or something like that? They'll shoot them. And so it, the, there's no recourse for for these things. And, uh, you know, 90% sounds possible. It, for all I know, it could be higher. And certainly even when they kill like a, you know, I don't know how many times I've read, they killed the commander of ISIS in Yemen or Afghanistan or this country or that country. Hey, it doesn't make a difference. Is there less of a threat of ISIS today than there was five years ago or anything like that? I mean, I guess the caliphate itself is no longer standing, but they're still constantly fear-mongering that, you know, uh, ISIS could inspire a lone wolf attack or something like that. So it, it, it it's completely useless anyways. Well, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you here a little bit. Um, you know, naysayers or, or supporters of the regime and uh, counterinsurgency as it is known, or, or maybe just the, the kind of the era of remote control drone warfare that we're living in. You know, a lot of people will say, well, look, you know, guys, these, these insurgents that, that we're after, these, these terrorists, you know, we can't, we can't just sit back and let them operate. If we get intel about where they are and what they're doing, we got to go after them. And drones are a great, great way to do that. But the problem is, is that these jokers, you know, they hide themselves behind civilians. They, they, they do that on purpose. They're constantly with women and children to, to try to safeguard their movements. Uh, what's your response to that? So, I mean, first of all, if you just want to take down face value and say, okay, well, then it, it, you're, you're acknowledging that your, your policy is killing women and children, and that's okay? I, I don't know how that's possible. You're saying you're going to murder innocent women and children because there are bad people around. And you're the morally correct, uh, like it just doesn't even make sense on the face of it. So if you made people think about that when they say it, um, I, I mean, some people will just react and be even more like, well, them damn towel heads don't deserve anything or, you know, whatever the hell they want to say. But, uh, it, you know, making some people reflect on is there. But, uh, you know, this is a case where uh, Zamir Yamadi worked for a California based charity for years. His brother was in the Afghan uh, National Forces, who was you know, also killed in the attack. And he was driving around. They watched him for eight hours. A guy who worked for a charity based in California and the global intelligence network of the United States couldn't figure out that he worked for a U.S.-based charity and, and couldn't have addressed this problem that way? No, they had to fire a drone, and then they were like, oh, children entered in the last minute, and that, that's why this is sad. Or something like that, and uh, you know, constantly lie about it and, and try to flood from it anyways. But you know, obviously, they can't kill the right people if they can't figure out a, who a guy in Kabul is who actually works for somebody in the United States. It, it's unbelievable how incompetent these people are carrying out drone strikes after twenty years of this. Well, so so speaking on that, since you brought up the intelligence, uh, I I, I want to turn it over to you on this. So uh, another one of the comments recently, specifically as, as it's related to the Zamari Ahmadi uh, murder, because let's call it what it is, is a U.S. official said that, well, we stand by the intel. Like, look, 
Kyle, the fog, <laughs> the fog of war is thick. It's hard to know exactly what's going on down there on the ground, and these people are making decisions on the fly halfway around the world. So, so when when you you know let's let's just try to put ourselves in the in the in the foot in the footsteps of these these poor uh, drone operators and the people signing off on these kill reports halfway around the world, or in you know operating off of some satellite in Nevada. Um, it's hard to know what's what in the blink of an eye. So we're we're going to stand by the intel because I mean, look, we've we've got billions, if not trillions, of dollars invested into the into the intelligence community. I mean, this is this is the deep state, right? Like when you when people talk about the deep state, this is what they're really talking about. So Kyle, come on, you know you're you, you gotta you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet, right? You know what that you know what they're saying when they say they stand by the intelligence? They're saying they would do it again. They're saying that they would press that button again, knowing that they're going to wipe seven children off the face of the earth. And they're absolutely okay with that. And it, it, I mean, they're just the the most disgusting people. I mean, you had uh, General uh, Kenneth McKenzie, right? He's the head of CENTCOM. Take accountability. What what, do, what does it mean to take accountability for killing seven children if you're not even going to resign from your position, Right. Like that would be the minimum to like never put yourself in a position again where you have authority to kill people or not. But, you know, he's not going to do that. In fact, I would place a, a big bet right now that within five years of him retiring, he's actually on the board of Raytheon or Lockheed Martin or, you know, one of these countries that made the drone or the bomb that, you know, he authorized to kill these kids. And, you know, again, they're they're saying that they're going to do this again and that they're going to continue to do this. Uh, you had the White House press secretary uh, yelling at a reporter who was asking, you know, isn't this a concern for like the overhorizon capabilities and the drone war that Biden has said time and time again that he's going to continue to carry out in Afghanistan, even moving forward. And she's saying, no, this was different. This was defensive. She called it a defensive strike when it killed 10 innocent people that had nothing to do with ISIS. It wasn't defensive. It was a slaughter. It was a war crime. And they're talking about, oh, accountability, and we're going to hold investigations and this and that. And they're they're not going to do any of it. A year from now, they'll be doing the same bullshit they were doing when they authorized this strike, where they have five people sitting around the room. They'll have a military commander, a lawyer, maybe some like diplomat or, uh, you, you know, a couple other departments of defense and they have little ping pong paddles one side red and one side green and basically the goal is to get them all hold up green which means that the military says it's right the intelligence says it's right the legal team says it's a lawful strike and once they have all green they hit the red button and that person's dead and i i guarantee you they'll be doing it the same way there's going to be no accountability or changes whatsoever well, I, I want to. I want you to elaborate on that point to drive us home. That was going to be the the last thing I talked to you about. Is this is one of the instances where uh, U.S. officials actually did follow up and say, "Well, you know, uh, the New York Times puts out this investigative report. They've got video. They've got pictures. We look into it. A few days later, they come out and say, "Yeah, we goofed. Ten innocent people died. Oops. You know, scratch that one off the board." So. 
If you or I went into a police station and said a van was coming up the street towards our house and I thought that they were robbers, so I fired an RPG into it and killed them all, and, <laughs> but it turned out it was just a, a family of 10 innocent women and children, we wouldn't be walking out of the police station. That's it for us. We're, we're done. We will never see the light of day again. So, so they just openly admitted to the international community that it was a wrongful strike and they murdered innocent people. So uh, who's going to prison? Absolutely no one. And I, I mean, if, if you were serious about not wanting this to happen again, generals would go to prison, probably starting with the head of JSOC and the highest ranking military official, Mark Milley, and then uh, McKenzie. And we could go on down the chain to the guy who hit the button and all the lawyers who approved this thing uh, that, you know, this is seven dead children we are talking about here that you know this has to be accountability now um, one thing i want to start with here is on our show me and will were right about this from the very beginning we were like this probably didn't kill terrorists it was probably bad intelligence and you know it was a drone strike in downtown kabul so innocent kids probably died and this isn't because we have like a crystal ball or some magical source in afghanistan is because we paid attention to this thing for 10 damn years where this happens every time where I don't know how many times over the especially past the Trump administration in Somalia where they say, oh, we killed four ISIS and three Al-Shabaab in these airstrikes. And then some reporter goes out and it turns out that, you know, it was a bus and there were two passengers and one was a boy with like a schoolboy with his backpack and one was an old man with one leg. So, no, that doesn't sound like ISIS to me. Right. And it's every time. And what happens is it just never gets reported or investigated. This is, you know, the one rare exception where it happened somewhere where there was Western press and enough Western attention about what was happening in Kabul at that general time to care for the New York Times to actually run this story. But nine out of 10 or probably 99 out of 100 times, the stories on these drone strikes don't get run. And, you know, the, the four or five innocent people that were just driving, you know, maybe to a wedding in a neighborhood neighboring village in Afghanistan got blown off the face of the earth. And the U.S. chopped them up as five militants. Their family never, you know, got anybody to apologize or justice at all. And uh, I mean, maybe at a minimum, this family will get condolence payments and a relocation package somewhere out of Afghanistan. But, it, you know, I, I guess from my perspective, that means very, very little, because what we need to do here is change the policy. And the only way to do that is with accountability. And I mean, the Biden administration has made it clear that they just don't give a damn. You know, as much as they spent the entire summer talking about, oh, the Afghan women and children who are going to suffer under the Taliban, wham, wham, wham. Well, here you actually have the bodies, the dead bodies of these people, and, and nobody cares again, right? There's no accountability for them. You think that if the Taliban had set a bomb in this driveway and blown up this innocent family, that there wouldn't be demands all over the from the media? We have to sanction the Taliban. We have to carry out drone strikes against their leadership. It would be nonstop. Stop them demanding war and blood if the Taliban had done that. But because it was the U.S., they're just going to sit there when Jen Psaki yells at them and tells them that, no, this was fine and defensive. And they're just going to take it and, and they're not going to demand any reform, any accountability. And it, it, it's got to go away. This story is going to go away and it's going to happen again. Well, Kyle, I knew you would be the perfect person to have on the show to talk about this with me because I, I follow Conflict of Interest and I know that you guys have been on top of this and, and much more from the very beginning. So tell our audience, where can people go to follow you and Will and Conflicts of Interest? 
Yes. Yeah, so uh, Will is the co-host of the show and he's absolutely great. He actually does the news and uh, it just brings such solid reporting. And, and a lot of times it's me ranting on top of it. Uh, but we're on YouTube at Conflicts of Interest. We also run our uh, Odyssey and Rumble page and post all of the same content there. Uh, we are based at the Libertarian Institute where I'm the news editor and write the daily news roundup. Um, that's, you know, the great Scott Horton's institution. And we have uh, a fantastic series of podcasts over there, including uh, Pequa known as a show, uh, Keith Knight, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Solomons. Uh, and then antiwar.com, pay attention to the viewpoints. That's uh, that's why I'm putting together every day. And Alan and Sherry, thanks again for having me back on to talk about this issue. Uh, even in libertarian circles, this doesn't get covered enough. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. Uh, stick around. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more in the break. Uh, guys, we'll be back to wrap up the show right after this break. Stick around. Tonight's show was sponsored by the Counter Narrative Report. The CNR is all about bringing you a rational look at the supposed official narratives being peddled by big tech and the corporate press. Cut through the propaganda and enjoy a safe haven for the free expression of ideas, as well as joining a free interactive online forum by visiting the Counter Narrative Report at www.the-cnr.com. That's www.the-cnr.com. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. We're also on Odyssey. Don't just complain about a platform not respecting your free speech. Go out and support one. That's odyssey.com where it's too late Alan Mosley or at TV. As well as if you're more of a listener than a watcher, you can get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to Anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm slash Alan Mosley TV. Do you like my radio voice there? That's I did. It was, it was quite nice. Alan Mosley TV. Alan Mosley TV. Hey, boo -boo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Sherry, do you have a final thought? Yeah. Uh, don't do blackface. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't murder black people. Right. Don't drone strike aid workers. <laughs> um and don't and don't do that and then just take their face. Right. Like that's how we know you're a lizard person is when you do that. Elector. Yeah. I think I'm gonna do blackface for Halloween this year. <laughs> oh god. That's your baby flea market. Yeah. But he was doing it because he thought it was funny. I'm doing right. it because I'm a racist. I'm a serial killer now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so you can catch me on season three of you premiering on Netflix. Guys, thank you so much, and we will see you next week.